Welcome to WeAreTechnology.com's User-Friendly 2.0 with host Bill Sickens, Technology Architect. And this is User-Friendly 2.0. I'm your host, Bill Sickens. Joining me here is Jeremy and Gretchen. Welcome to this week's show. Hello. Hello there. So we've got an exciting set of guests. Actually, we've got two guests on the show this week. Our first guest is Carol with Footprints in the Sand. She runs a horse rescue, and we're going to be talking a little bit technology about animal rescue and different things like that, and talking to her about an upcoming event that they're doing for a fundraiser. Some really cool stuff going on there. And then our second interview today is with Jorgen Peterson. He's the chief operating officer at Sarcos. Sarcos is an amazing company that produces robotics and technology related to robotics and has just I don't know. It's one of those things. I love tech. Everybody knows this, but these are the type of products I could be passionate about because I think what they're doing is just so cool. The benefits potentially to quality of life and a number of other things. A lot of their equipment is designed with the idea of safety in mind to take the human operator out of harm's way and be able to use robots that work and are just you know able to plug into that and be able to deal with that. So it is really, really cool to be able to talk to that. They're in Las Vegas this week. They just finished up at the uh, contractor show. It's the big construction show that's held down there every year. Uh, Con Expo Con, that's the name of it. I had to think for a minute there. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's that like if terrible. you're in the industry, that's the place to be. Con Expo Con, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, but uh, that's going to be a fun interview coming up too. And I... I don't know. I just, you know, we've said in the past 2022 was the year of the robot. It didn't disappoint, but that continues on. And I think what we're seeing right now is just this evolution of things that really are going to change the world. And with companies like Sarcos focusing on it for the better, because that's what their products are designed for. And that's what they do. What do we have in the news this week? NASA just revealed a prototype of the spacesuit designed to take humans back to the moon. Yeah, and it's kind of a cool-looking picture, too. I've kind of done a little bit of a redesign, but you got to think about these things. And they call it the Axiom Extravehicular Mobility Unit. I think I'm saying that right. (laughs) Nice. Um, That's complicated. uh, Why don't we just call it a spacesuit? Because (laughs) that's what it is. But I don't know, the whole idea, you know, of uh, suiting up in something like that and being able to work and do all kinds of kind of cool things is, I find that appealing. Well, it doesn't look as bulky as the old stuff. Yeah, well, and like technology goes along, you know, the way all the way around. It definitely looks like it's a little bit easier to deal with. I agree with you 100% on that. And um, they're going to be using this to walk around. And, you know, it's, it's kind of cool to see where the technology of all of this is actually going. And I remember back in looking at the history of all of this, the original ones were so big and bulky and everything like that. And it was just, I can only imagine. (laughs) So like anything else, it's coming right along. But yeah, it's pretty cool. And it's pretty cool to see this developing. Press the start-stop button 120 times to disable factory mode, Ford tells technicians. Does that so sound like it wouldn't do something crazy? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you know, I, I wouldn't think that would be good on the car. So what they're talking about here is when a vehicle is shipped, it is put into factory mode. And what that's designed to do is to eliminate some of the functionality so the battery doesn't go dead, you know, that type of a thing while it's in transport. And then you take it out of factory mode before you sell it to the customer. Now, I know on my Nissan Rogue One, 
it had a thing like that. It's a button in the fuse panel and you push it down to take it out of factory mode. And so in the direction of not making things easier, it now requires that you run or push the start stop button. So the ignition button 120 times. So that would make number one, that when you get your brand new car, your start stop button has already been used a bit. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of. And, you know, but this is actually one of the easier ones. There's another manufacturer that requires you to run the engine cycle 60 times. That means start the vehicle, run it, stop it, start the vehicle, run it, stop it, which, uh, uh, I don't know. They tell you not to do that. It's not good on your car. So in any event, I don't know, hopefully maybe Easy they can come stuff. up with an easier way to do it. But for right now, I'm not sure too. I mean, how would they realize it? Because this would be a very tedious task, it seems like. Exactly. And I guess that goes to the apprentice technician. <laughs> yeah. Okay, here's some stressful news. Silicon Valley Bank collapses. Yes, this has been in the news. Uh, this happened last week. And Silicon Valley Bank is a bank that's funded. Uh, they don't need more, of course, because they've collapsed, but about 50% of the VC capital for both the U.S. and the United Kingdom, 16th largest bank. And they made some bad decisions that caused them to go down in basically a 24-hour period, caused a run on the bank. People started withdrawing money, and then the government stepped in and shut them down. And uh, it's uh, definitely interesting to look at how all this went together. I mean, the timeline is less than a day from end to end on this whole thing. And it's a little bit scary because what's happening here is, especially with the technology industry, so many companies had their money at Silicon Valley Bank. So all of a sudden they can't pay their staff, they can't pay their vendors, they can't pay their rent possibly, you know, these type of things. I know Roku had billions of dollars. I think I read somewhere on this. That uh, they've yeah. gotten in there. So the FDIC and there were other companies accounts. that had a lot of money in there too. Yeah, yeah, you know, it just yeah, and it it, it just it goes from there. So the FDIC insures accounts up to two hundred fifty thousand uh, dollars. This is true at an FDIC insured bank, and they've got the sign up and that type of a thing for most accounts. But that's not a lot of money if you're a larger business making payroll and all that kind of stuff. And everything over it is all of a sudden not available, which is what caused the run on the bank. Because as soon as word got out that there was a problem, everybody tried to get in and get the rest of their money out before they shut it down, which uh, caused this to be um, be a problem. So some businesses are being creative to be able to work around this. Others are having trouble, but um, they're getting the crisis contained. And then they're looking at getting this resolved and being able to get people back to their money. The government's saying that this isn't going to cost taxpayers any money to get them out, so it's not a bailout. So we'll see where this actually ends up. Robot lawyer Do Not Pay is being sued by a law firm because it does not have a law degree. Yeah, one has to think that that's a little bit ridiculous, maybe. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, ChatGPT passed the law exam. So um, maybe robot lawyers should just take the board's uh, and and be a lawyer. That'd probably be a good idea. I mean, if we're going to hold a computer program, even an AI, to this level of responsibility, then the AI should at least have the option of being able to pass the test, right? I would think. If we're going to have a ridiculous well, conversation, sense. let's dive in a little bit, right? You know? <laughs> <laughs> so Do Not Pay is a website for anybody that hasn't worked with this to be able to get legal information. It uses an AI chat box to advise clients, or I don't know what you'd call them, users, that type of a thing in here, 
get some information. It's definitely noted that this is not a actual lawyer. The CEO of uh, Do Not Pay, um, Joshua Browder, said on Twitter recently that the claims have no merit and he pledged to file a lawsuit. So it'll be interesting to see where this actually ends up. But kind of one of these weird things. I'm just wondering if this is a real deal or if someone just had too much time on their hands or saw maybe a deep pocket. Yeah. Has the 3D printing revolution finally arrived? Well, we're seeing it definitely more and more. Jeremy, what do you think? You are into 3D printing. Uh, Yeah, I can print a lot of different things. Um, I can't do concrete or food. But uh, if it's plastic, there's plastic wood, plastic metals, um, and all kinds of variations on the plastics. I can print a lot of stuff. So, yeah, I think so. You know, it's interesting to see where this is going. and. I know we've talked about 3D printing and uh, some of the comments that I heard back was that we almost sounded like we didn't like it. We do. I actually think there's a huge, huge place for this and it's used all the time. I mean, it's not like this is some new thing that's uh, just coming out there. But what we're talking about here where it's coming into its all is we're seeing it used kind of across the board. I used it for the first time actually for making building materials. It's kind of interesting that this coincides with it. But I had a piece of trim that was broken by my front door in uh, my house. And I couldn't find the same trim, so I was able to scan it and then print a new piece of trim, and it looks great. So, uh, you know, that's just a small thing of this, of course. But we're seeing 3D printing of bricks, concrete, Jeremy, like you were saying, food, which is a more interesting thing. And it goes on and on. And it is definitely something that can help solve a lot of problems because you have materials available that you might not be able to get to otherwise. And definitely in dangerous parts of the world, if you need to supply something, if you have a machine that goes in and it gets destroyed due to war or something of that nature, you can replace the machine and you can't replace the human. So there's a safety factor that this brings into place. But I know you look around in addition to houses in the Netherlands, they have a couple of now 3D printed bridges that are yep. up and working just fine and have been, you know, that kind of a thing. So it's uh, definitely interesting to see. Now, again, there's a lot of different 3D printers out there, but what you would use for building materials is different than something like you would have in your house. And, uh, you know, all of that kind of thing. So at the end of the day, I don't know. I think it is coming into its own. I think it's a great thing, but I think there's a lot more that we're going to be able to do with it. We're just starting to figure out where this is going to be. All right, time for our break. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We've got two great interviews for you this week. And our first one is with Carol from Hoofprints in the Sand, which is a horse rescue. And this organization is interesting. They're doing a lot, of course, with rescuing horses and helping them get better and taking in a lot of uh, horses from places and people that can't afford to keep them for whatever reason. And you know, Gretchen, the technology applies to animals just as much as anything else. Now, we all have pets and you know, we have the microchips and those different type of things. And yeah, you know, there's some stuff like that, but I know you can do some really cool things with these things because like with my cats, I would have a bowl and they all ate different food. So the bowl oh. was able to re- read the microchip and the cat and only open for the right one. So there's a lot of kind of cool things they have out there, you know? Well, there's also these weird tracker things that you can put on your uh, pet's collars. Um, it's okay for dogs. Um, we we have a, a tracker 
that works great for the dog, but it's too big for the cat. We have a very yeah. tiny cat. And uh, that would be like putting a ball and chain around her neck. So I'm hoping somebody's going to invent a tiny one. You know, well, you know, things things get smaller. And the, the trackers, like what you're talking about, there's actually two options for that one, which is the one you have, and we use them to use as the cell phone network, mm-hmm. so that if your pet runs out of range, you can still find them on a map. And right. then they have another one that is smaller that works like an air tag or a tile, but you those have only to work have if Apple. you're in range. Yeah, or the tile will work on Android, but both oh, of really? them have the limitation. Yeah, but both of them have the limitation that they only work if the pet is in range of your phone. Ah, okay. Well, that so, would at least you know, give an option of walking around the neighborhood. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the idea with something like that. And with things like Google Sidewalk, um, or actually Amazon Sidewalk, let me give credit to the right company there, it can work <laughs> a little bit further. But the bigger one, and unfortunately it is bigger because it basically has a cell phone transmitter in it, Yeah, but those do have pretty much unlimited range as long as it's in range of a cell phone network. You know. So to that end, we are seeing technology all over the place. Pet finders aside, if you're trying to adopt a pet where you can see a lot of wonderful animals that are available nearby where you are and search by different criteria and all of that kind of thing. And that goes all the way around. Hoofprints in the Sand is putting together a special event. And to that end, they are trying to raise money through things like Vimo. And social media, they're putting together a new website, which will be up pretty soon, where you might even be able to go on and sponsor a horse, same type of thing. And I think technology can really benefit all of this when used in the right way, because it allows us to be able to do more. It usually costs less to do, and it gets your message out there a whole lot easier. So that being said, I'd like to welcome Carol with Hoofprints in the Sand. She's coming to us by phone. Joining us today is Carol with Hoofprints in the Sand, a horse rescue group here in Oregon. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much. The rescue and myself, we truly appreciate the opportunity. So tell us a little bit about what you do. We are a horse rescue that's located in Newburgh, Oregon. We've been there for a little over 10 years. I've only been a part of it for about two and a half. And We are trying to save as many horses as we possibly can, and right now we have 32. Okay, so that's a lot of horses. Now, I know horses are expensive to look after, so how do you raise the money for this? Well, honestly, we do events. We collect pop cans, or people donate pop cans. Um, Once in a while, we get donations. if a horse comes in that it's really bad shape, um, we'll go do a GoFundMe and we'll get a couple hundred dollars for that. I mean, whatever we can do, we do. Yeah, it sounds like it kind of just get picking up from everywhere. Now, I understand you have a special event coming up here at the beginning of April, which is also mm-hmm. a fundraiser. Tell us a little bit about that. It's uh, April 1st at 11.30. It's family-friendly. We only charge for kids. and. What it is, it's an Easter egg hunt. You get a pony ride on a, well, unicorn ride. Um, we have cupcakes. It's tea party with the bunny rabbit is what it is for Easter. And we have lots of games and face painting, bounce house, all kinds of stuff to do. But the main thing is the kids get to interact with the horses and go for a ride. Now, I've never been able to ride a unicorn. Is, the, is it only for the kids or can the adults do it too? <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, we can put some. We can put an adult on one of the bigger unicorns. <laughs> oh, that, you know, I just I think that sounds amazing. Where do you hold the event? I, I assume at your place, but where is that? It's in Newburgh off of Calkins Lane. It's in our arena. So it's a covered area. Um, I mean, dress accordingly to the weather, which the weather hasn't been perfect lately, but you will stay dry. It might be a little chilly, but I promise you'll stay dry. I think we can definitely live with that. Is it a pre-registration event or just show up? Um, we prefer people to pre-register. Um, we have a Venmo account at Hoofprints Rescue or give me, you know, they can shoot me an email. Um, we need to know how many people because that's how many Easter eggs and cupcakes and stuff like that we need to come up with. Okay. And you talked about the Vimo account. Do you guys have a website? Um, Hoofprints in the Sand Rescue, but it, it's better to go on to carol-sumner at live.com right now. We're still working on the website. Um, we're renewing it and hopefully getting it bigger and better. Okay, that, that sounds great. So we'll get all of that out on our social media. So if you're driving right now, don't try to write this down while you're driving. It'll be on our social media site so that you can check it out and get the information on where to go for that event. So let's talk a little bit about what goes into rescuing horses. I know raising money is a big part of it and when you get emergency situations, but you say people have just been kind of dropping their horses off. Is this a pandemic thing? What's going on to cause that? Or is it just the economy? I think it's the pandemic and the economy. I mean, it's worse than ever. A lot of people, they just can't afford their animals right now. Horses are a huge expense. Um, we have a horse that came in um, with cancer in his eyebrow, and the people had to make a decision between putting the horse down and eating or paying for the surgery, um, and there was no way they can come up with the $1,300 for the surgery. So we um, put out a GoFundMe and came up with part of it. Um, the volunteers, we covered the rest out of our own pockets because, um, I mean, the horse is great. He's sweet. He's part of the rescue now. And um, we didn't want him put down. The cancer's gone. He's doing great. Actually, he's getting his stitches out today. Oh, my goodness. I, I know when I go through, have gone through surgeries, I don't like stuff like that. So I feel for him. But at least getting him back. I know... With the cost of things right now, sometimes you have to make these super difficult decisions. I know even with small animals, vet bills can get very expensive. So I can only imagine, you know, some of the things you're dealing with to keep this going, especially right now. So we've got about 30 seconds left. Is there anything else you want to tell us? Um, we will take any kind of donations we can get, whether it be feed money, anything we can do, but please come to the events. We're also um, asking people to do field trips at the rescue. Um, we give a discount depending on how many kids there are. And horses are good for kids. It, it makes them feel good. Actually, one of the kids that come out there, they say the horse rescue is her happy place. I can only imagine. All right, Carol, thank you so much for joining us today. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Check out our website, userfriendlyshow.com. That's where you can send us your questions and your comments. We've got an exciting guest today from Sarcos Robotics, Jorgen Peterson. Did I say your name right? You did. Okay, great. I 
only took me 15 tries, so I'm glad we got there. He is the chief operating officer, and you guys have been working in a show this week in Las Vegas. It's really kind of the construction show where you show off all the new technology and stuff. So let's start with if you could tell us a little bit about what Sarcos does and some of the cool stuff you, you're working on. Yeah, so at, at Sarcos, we, we have a, a core mission, which is to improve worker safety and productivity. Uh, and the way we're doing that is through robotics. Um, and these robots are going, you know, probably different than what most people think when they think about robotics. We're going beyond the factory floor. We're going outside into unstructured, dynamic environments, and we're, and we're mobile, right? So we're not just affixed to the floor like most people think about a robotic arm, uh, you know, bolted to a factory floor. These are mobile systems that go out into the world. We're focusing in uh, different areas. Uh, we're looking at construction is one area. We're looking at uh, airport automation. We're, we're, we're going below the surface of the ocean and helping divers uh, perform uh, tasks there. So we, we address multiple markets. But the bottom line is we want to keep people safe, um, but we want to in, improve quality. Uh, we want to expand the pool of qualified workers in, in the future. Um, and, uh, and, you know, on the business side, we're, we're improving productivity. So the we can in, increase the rate at which uh, construction is performed, for example. Now, it seems like safety would play into a lot of this, too, because I know I was watching the video from Las Vegas and you had a system there that w- looked like you could work it remotely and it could work in a place that might be a little dangerous for a person to be. That's right. And yeah, no, safety is at our core. We're, you know, we're all about keeping people out of harm's way. Um, you know, that that's, you know, half of our, our mission, you know, is, is safety. The other half is, is productivity. And yeah, we, you know, people shouldn't be doing dangerous jobs or be put into situations that are prone to, you know, injury or, or worse. Uh, so that's why we're focused on uh, introducing robotics into new markets that really haven't necessarily uh, adopted or considered uh, robotics uh, before. So how I was really we, amazed by the the video and how the arms and things moved. They're incredible. They're so lifelike. Yeah, we you know we have two two main styles. One's a more anthropomorphic, which means that it's human like, uh, and um, that's really useful when a person needs to teleoperate a system. Uh, so if it if it's just if it looks and feels and moves like a human. It becomes very intuitive for a human to uh, take control of it and, and operate it as if it were an extension of him or herself. Um, and then we have uh, another uh, variant, which is probably it looks more like an industrial robotic arm that's put into difficult situations, which does, maybe doesn't have the same dexterity, but it has a greater workspace that's able to um, do repetitive, mundane tasks over and over again with, with, you know, perhaps higher quality, do it faster, uh, while also keeping people out of harm's way. So we have th- those two flavors of uh, robotic systems that we showcased at Con Expo. One was our Guardian XT, which is the, the human-like, more human-like one. And one was the Guardian XM, which was the more industrial-like uh, system that uh, was there. So it seems like if you're working in an area that uh 
you would need to get into that might be kind of dangerous, like an enclosed space or something like that. The the XM, I think you called it, would be something that could work really well in that type of an environment. Yeah. Um, we don't want to prescribe which is the right solution for any given use case, but but you're you're you hit the nail on the head, right? That you you need to look at the situation and figure out what's the right tool for the job, right? You, you know, is this one uh, dexterous enough to do the job? Is this one small enough to do the job? We have a pretty extensive portfolio of technologies. Um, and even uh, beyond what was shown at the Con Expo show, uh, we have our Guardian C class. So we can even go underwater and provide human-like capabilities underwater um, because construction and other use cases are, are performed uh, sub-sea. So uh, for any given market or use case, we, 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 have a per, we look at our portfolio f- and figure out what's the right tool for the job, um, whether it be uh, you know, dexterity, strength, um, maneuverability, whatever the requirement is, we, we consider that. No, I, I, no, I think it's absolutely incredible because it seems like you're hitting a part of the market that, as you said in the beginning, is very not much not serviced in quite this way to be able to move around and have all of these different type of things. So, so we need to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about some stuff that uh, we saw on the website and some other really kind of cool products that Sarcos has. We'll be right back. This is user friendly 2.0. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We're jumping right back into our interview with Sarcos Technology and Robotics Corporation. On your website, there's also a picture of a system that looks like a giant exoskeleton. What is that? Yeah, that's our Guardian XO, um, and that's a powered exoskeleton uh, that allows a person to step into it uh, and perform uh, you know, a strenuous tasks uh, where you can pick up heavy weights. But you don't feel those weights uh, as the human inside the suit, where uh, if you're picking up an object, you can move it. It may feel like 10 pounds, but it's only 100 pounds, for example. Uh, So that way you're helping to reduce injury, reduce fatigue. But, and, you know, that's really conducive for those tasks where you really require the human intellect to still perform the job. Uh, You know, it's a very complex task uh, where you, you just want to really prevent injuries um, and and perhaps widen the pool of qualified candidates, right? You don't always have to have a 95th percentile male to perform, uh, you know, a, a certain job if you have the right tool. So even a small person like me could do it. That's right. what you're saying. Yes. Cool. <laughs> well, I, I'll tell you, I, the, the amount that that could help with worker injury on things like Fulfillment centers and other stuff like that is just incredible. So where do you see this going? Because this is a very different area of robotics than most. Yeah, so we're, we're seeing significant traction in, in certain markets. Uh, construction is one. Uh, aviation is another. Um, specifically within construction, um, we recently put out an announcement of our first field trial where we did uh, autonomous uh, solar field construction. 
um, that was with a engineering procurement company called Mortensen. It was part of a Department of Energy uh, grant, and we um, were able to go into the field and demonstrate the initial capability, of, uh, you know, into a live construction site and demonstrate uh, that we are able to move uh, photovoltaic panels from a delivery point. Uh, move them and place them above the racking system that they get mounted to in the field, and then have a worker come in and do some fine adjustment and attachment. So there's still people there. We're augmenting the workforce. They're still performing some of that that high finesse, uh, you know, uh, capability. But you're putting all the brawn on the robot, right? You and you're putting and you're taking out the risk of injury. Uh, uh, by utilizing the robot to autonomously move the panels from the delivery platform to the racking system out in the field. Uh, so it's, it's, a, it's a win-win where you're able to amplify your workforce and allow that domain expertise to be uh, you know, amplified um, and have um, you know, you know, the way we're benchmarking it is, hey, the same size crew could uh, install a field, you know, N times faster, right? Right. Um, or a smaller crew could install a, a field at the, the current rate, right? But you're getting huge productivity gains by introducing this capability. And of note, uh, it's not a, hey, we, th you know, uh, robotics would be great to have. It, I, you know, I think based on the data that has been published into the market, uh, to, to achieve Biden's uh, uh, you know, energy goal of 30% solar by 2030, uh, uh, based on some reports, and I can't remember them off the top of my head, but uh, I can look them up afterwards and provide it to you as reference. Uh, they need a roughly 900,000 installers to, to, oh, to wow. meet that objective. Wow. And uh, in recent years, it's just been over 200,000 installers uh, with a 5% decline year after year, year over year. Uh, so the, the gap is widening uh, in terms of the labor force needed. Uh, so an only way to really, in my mind, uh, achieve that is through the introduction of some level of robotics and automation. Doesn't mean that uh, people aren't still there. They're, they're still there to provide what I call supervised autonomy. There's, you know, if there's an error condition or something that happens, a person can take, take over and can, um, you know, help overcome a, an obstacle or a challenge. So, I mean, it's amazing. Now you talk about Biden and his task going forward and on that line. Do you see a place for this with organizations like NASA? I mean, I'm sure the military too. It seems like there's a lot of other applications that just keep going and going and going. Yeah, d defense. Uh, you know, so Sarcos is now the combination of uh, what was, uh, you know, the Sarcos uh, that was in in Utah that was founded, you know, 30. 30-ish years ago, as well as RE Squared Robotics, which was founded in Pittsburgh um, you know, 20, 20 years ago. We brought these uh, two companies together, but it was interesting, both of those companies that are now one uh, got their start in defense because defense has always been an early adopter. You know, so dealing with 
EOD, explosive ordnance disposal, and bombs that are dangerous. You want to keep people out of harm's way, right? Go have the robot deal with that threat and keep me away from it. So we continue to serve those communities, the EOD community, uh, the diver community. Uh, we're, we're now moving into uh, aircraft maintenance. We have a program with the Air Force where we're doing uh, uh, inspection and maintenance of aircraft, uh, a C-17. Right, so having robot, you know, up at height because those aircraft are very large. Uh, so have, going places that are dangerous uh, for humans or would require scaffolding, but now with this robotic system, you don't you don't require scaffolding and you don't put people into dangerous situations. You 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 project the capability at height using our systems and keep people back and allow them to supervise from a, a safe location. Now, this is absolutely amazing. So I'm hoping as you continue to develop things, maybe we could have you back six months down the road and kind of see where things are going and what's happening and what's new. I know our listeners just love this type of technology and we get questions all the time. So I know we're going to get a ton of questions for you too. Yeah, no, that'd be great. Uh, you know, like I said, we we just had our first trial in uh, December of last year with uh, Mortensen, one of our partners for the solar field construction. We're lining up additional field trials uh, throughout this year. Uh, so, yeah, six months from now, it'd be great to provide you with an update of the progress we've made, whether it be solar field construction or airport automation uh, or uh, subsea applications. All right. Well, we're looking forward to it. Thank you so much, Sarcos Technology and Robotics Corporation. This is absolutely amazing. We'll be keeping an eye on your website, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. All right. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User Friendly 2.0. As always, I get to say this now. Great show this week. Yay! <laughs> that we have. You know, again, a lot of interesting stuff to talk about. And there's always seems like there's something new going on. You know, another thing we didn't hit upon yet, but uh, is coming out, is that there's going to be a new phone on the Pixel line, the first uh, foldable that they're coming out with. So that's a new technology that we're going to see. And that's kind of cool because Pixel's had some great products, but there hasn't been a lot of differences in the models. So bringing out a foldable phone is going to be something completely different for that. And speaking of cell phones, it was announced this week that T-Mobile is buying Mint Mobile. Now, if anybody, including me, has never heard of Mint Mobile, it's a budget provider that's 15 bucks a month. They've got great coverage and their ratings look like they're pretty good in that type of a thing. Yeah. So they're combining this together and uh, looking to see, we'll see if this actually is allowed to go through, but it's interesting to see the consolidation continuing to happen with all of this t-mobile's been eating them up to sprint the big merger of that just happened yeah and that type of a thing and i know we use google fi ourselves and part of the reason for that is because to try to avoid being locked into contracts and things verizon's just brought back that you have to sign a three-year contract if you want to go with them for most stuff you know and that kind of thing so I don't know, losing some of the smaller carriers, I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing. What do you guys think about it? Is this good, bad, I'm a little concerned. I'm concerned because sometimes competition helps to drive innovation and mm -hmm. keep prices down. And 
Yeah. yeah. I tend to, I tend to agree uh, very much so. And seeing where this all ends up going is going to be kind of interesting. And I think right now with the economy being so weird, we're going to see a lot of consolidation in a lot of different things. We've talked about on the pop culture front, Discovery and uh, Warner Brothers, you know, and that's still sort of coming together. They're separate apps. So, you know, so we'll see what ends up happening with that. And uh, some of the different things that we're seeing in the video game industry, uh, things like Microsoft wanting to buy Blizzard Activision. Oh, that's really? Still mm. being, uh, being worked on and uh, the government saying, you know, stepping in on a lot of these things and saying some of these mergers may not be a good thing. There's other ones out there, too. And again, Gretchen, like you say, it cuts off, you know, a certain amount of competitiveness. I know one of the ones that we're worried about up here is that uh, Kroger is trying to buy Safeway. Oh. And so that's interesting because like where I live, we have a Fred Meyer, which is a Kroger store. And then across the street, we have a Safeway. Safeway is Albertsons. That's one company. And then Kroger is a lot of different brands. So does that bring away competition, you know? And yeah. the answer to that is most likely yes. So, hmm. you know, I don't know at the end of the day, we'll see where it's at, but a lot of stuff's going up on in tech right now that is making it very viable to try to save money. And that's a lot of times why they do these mergers from a business standpoint, you know, to see if that's where that'll be. So we'll keep on top of this. And until then, this is User-Friendly 2.0, keeping you safe on the cutting edge. User-Friendly 2.0 is copyright 2023, User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. All rights reserved. Views expressed on this show are those of the host and not necessarily User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. or this station. Music licensing by BMI. Hosting and technology provided by wearetechnology.com. Listen at theanswerportland.com, userfriendlyshow.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts.